Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 249 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we speak with Shelley Osborne, the Vice President of Learning at Udemy. I'm sure many listeners will be familiar with Udemy. It's a company that has really disrupted the online education market by providing a platform where subject matter experts can easily publish and sell their courses and where prospective learners and now businesses can easily find and access thousands of online courses across a wide range of topics. Shelley leads the company's learning strategy and the continuous upskilling of its employees, and she has a new book coming out soon that is titled... The Upskilling Imperative, Five Ways to Make Learning Core to the Way We Work. Jeff, what do you and Shelley cover in this conversation? Well, Shelley is in many ways a dream guest for the Leading Learning Podcast because she not only works in a learning business, Udemy, of course, is very much about marketing and selling education to adult learners, but she's also a learning and development professional who has thought deeply about and has hands-on experience with how learning fits into our current world of work. We talk a bit about Udemy as a company, and then we dive into the five ways that Shelley covers in her book. And I'll note that I've had the chance to read an advanced copy of the book cover to cover, and I think this is one that listeners are really going to want to put on the must-read list. This conversation provides some great insights into areas like fostering a learning culture, connecting learning and marketing, and signaling the value of learning. But the book, of course, goes so much deeper on all of these topics and more. So what reflection questions did you come up with for this episode? And as a reminder, listeners, you can find the reflection questions in the show notes, which are available at leadinglearning.com slash episode 249. Well, one very obvious area for reflection is this whole topic of upskilling, which of course is the idea that you help learners be agile and gain the new skills and knowledge they need to remain competitive in today's dynamic employment market. So I challenge listeners to ask, How intentionally and strategically are we addressing upskilling needs in the field or industry we serve? Of course, most of our listeners aren't operating within a corporate or other institutional setting. They are providing learning opportunities from the outside. So as an extension of my first question, I'd ask, how can you best leverage the five ways that Shelley writes about to connect with and enhance the upskilling efforts of internal learning and development departments? 
it seems very likely that the need for upskilling is only going to continue to grow and, and along with it, the need for learning businesses to be strategic in how they help with meeting the need. And clearly, Shelly offers valuable insights that will help listeners with their own upskilling. And so with that, let's go ahead and roll the interview. Hello and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Jeff Cobb and today I'm very happy to be talking with Shelly Osborne. Shelly is the Vice President of Learning at Udemy, where she leads the company's learning strategy and continuous upskilling of employees globally. She's also the author of an upcoming book titled The Upskilling Imperative, Five Ways to Make Learning Core to the Way We Work. Now, I know upskilling is a top-of-mind topic for many leading learning listeners, and I've had the chance to see the galleys for the book, and I can say that it is a very valuable discussion of this very important topic. I'm looking forward to talking about the book during this episode, but first, Shelly, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation as well and, and sharing a little bit more about the book and, and how we've been thinking about upskilling at Udemy. Well, I'm I'm so happy to connect with you. I've I've followed Udemy as a company for quite a while now. Very very interesting. I definitely want to talk a little bit more about what Udemy does. But um, but first, can you tell us a little bit more about about you? I mean, who are you? Um, how how did you uh, arrive at Udemy? What do you do there? Yeah, thank you for the question. I'm actually I started as a classroom educator. I taught uh, Spanish and English up in Canada for about a decade, and I realized along the way that I was really interested in continuous learning. And it drove me into this place of pursuing corporate learning and education. And I've kind of dabbled in a number of different areas in the L&D space and ultimately landed sincerely my dream job at Udemy because I get to be a learning leader at a learning company where what we do is what I do, which is just a really exciting opportunity and, and space for me, leading both our, our learning strategy, but also having the opportunity to influence what we do from a content and product perspective and partner with teams across the organization to really think deeply about the future of learning. And, and can you say a little bit more about what Udemy as a company does? I think probably a lot of listeners are, are familiar um, with it by now, but, but some may not be or may not be com completely clear. So how would you describe Udemy? Udemy is the world's largest online learning marketplace. We have this ability for anyone anywhere in the world to teach anything online. And that really opens up access to education globally as well for students where they can access content across over 150,000 courses. So we have millions and millions of students who come to Udemy every day to learn all sorts of skills. And that might be something that's a professional business skill like conflict resolution or it could be a technical skill like a programming language. And there's all sorts of uh, personal development topics and cooking classes and technologies. And it's really just a broad perspective and approach to learning. Uh, we also support businesses and we have a Udemy for Business offering where we offer a curated collection of those courses that really are those topics that are relevant for businesses and organizations to help upskill their employees uh, and, and the topics that are really emerging for those groups. And you have, uh, I mean, I was really fascinated when I first saw this model and, 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 you know, the fact that you were pulling it off. I mean, you've got all of those courses that you have because 
you're able to tap into the, the global pool of subject matter experts. So, I mean, in, in theory, really anybody who has expertise in a topic can come to you to me and using your tools and, and, the, and the support and the processes you give them publish an online course. Is that, am I saying that correctly? That's exactly accurate. We have a belief at Udemy that the best teachers aren't always found in classrooms. And sure, some of them are, but there's a lot of people all around the world who have incredible knowledge and it's wasted when it's not shared. And Udemy is that opportunity to give people a platform uh, to really share what they know, um, help develop expertise in others. And we're, we're also really passionate about the fact that this opens up a revenue stream for individuals who want to be in instructors uh, anywhere in the world. So it's a really exciting model. Uh, we're really proud of it. And I have to tell you, I'm also a Udemy instructor. So I, I'm, I'm really personally excited about what that means for people. I've had the opportunity to teach people all around the world. I have students in Mauritius. I actually have about 90,000 students in my courses on Udemy. Wow, I, I hadn't even thought about that. That you, you would be somebody who's yeah w walking the walk with uh, <laughs> what you're doing there. Um, and I mean, and clearly, Udemy has been uh, well disruptive. I, I mean, I think in a very very positive way. But it, there's a lot of, of change. There's a lot of disruption that's going on in this this whole world of learning right now. And um, that might be a, a, a good and an artful way to kind of segue to your book because uh, your book is very much um, uh, focused on this, uh, this whole idea of, a, of an upskilling imperative. Can you, you know, kind of set, set the context for the book a little bit? I mean, why, why is upskilling such a, a, a burning issue um, right now? You know, why did you feel like you, 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 you had, I, I'm assuming you were compelled to write this book. So what, what, how, what made you feel compelled to write this book right now? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something I've given a lot of thought to. For me, just fundamentally, learning is the path forward in times of change. And what I think has become just more and more prevalent, and, and even especially right now as the world faces a pandemic, is that that rate of change just keeps accelerating. And what goes along with that is a need for us to continuously learn and to get a lot better at being learners, to be more efficient at learning, and for organizations to accept the responsibility they have in creating the conditions for learning for their employees. So when I thought about writing this book, I really was connecting these ideas I have about how we create that foundational culture of learning that to me is something that isn't often considered. People are some people are open to considering learning needs to happen for their employees, but it's transactional or it's not given a lot of thought or effort. What is important to me is that this foundation of a culture of learning must be a precursor to this so that we, we aren't just sort of responding to an immediate today need. We're already preparing for the change that we don't know what it will, will be, but we know is coming in six months, a year two years or five. And that has just been uh, really, really illustrated by the challenges and difficulties we've faced in, in the pandemic. Yeah. We are. I mean, we so often talk about uh, when I say we, uh, you know, at Tagoras at, at leading learning, talk about learning 
as a process, you know, rather than an event, you know, because you tend to think of just courses and classes and those are, those are valuable in, in their way, but learning evolves over time. It develops over time. It, it takes time. Um, and I think uh, your book definitely recognize that, recognizes that and, and really it provides uh, kind of a roadmap uh, to doing that, a real guide to, to making sure that that happens. You do in um, the, the subtitle uh, reference, you know, the the five ways uh, to make learning core to the way we work. And um, we won't be able to discuss all of the five ways in, in deep detail in, in, the, in the time we have today. That, of course, is a, a key reason for, for listeners to go find and, and buy the book when it comes out. But I do want to at least um, highlight them. And then, um, you know, maybe we could touch on some, some different aspects of them. So the first one of them is uh, develop and foster agile learners. The second is feedback is fuel for learning cultures. The third is, I love this one, think like a marketer to drive learning and development. The fourth is put learning into the flow of work. And the fifth is to signal the value of learning. And um, I think somehow or another, we're going to manage to touch on just about all of those in some way. I'm going to go back on what I just said, but, uh, we'll do our but best. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. So uh, obviously there's a lot that could be discussed here um, and, and feel free to redirect me at any point if there's a, a different path you'd like to take. But, um, but I'd love to start by maybe um, defining some of those terms that, that pop up in there because um, you talk about agile learners and then you've already used the term a number of times, uh, learning cultures. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are the traits of, a, of an agile learner? What are these traits we need to develop if we don't have them? And then also, you know, learning culture. I mean, how do you, how do you define a learning culture? How do you know if, if, it's, if it's there or, or not? These are two huge questions, and I'm really excited to dive into both of them. The concept of agile learners has really emerged for me from this perspective I've learned from software and agile development. And, and I'm very fortunate to be uh, married to a, a software developer who's taught me a lot about Scrum and agile. And I realized pretty quickly that the same concepts actually apply to how we think about agile learners and how we really instill a growth mindset in people um, and, and foster and develop that. And I think Carol Dweck's work on mindset has been just so influential and agile learning to me is sort of my continuation of her perspective and how we frame it up for people in a really tangible, uh, tactical way so that they can start thinking about themselves as being agile and change a framing they have for, for how they approach learning. My own experiences uh, have taught me that that learning is my own way forward, that every challenge I faced or every sort of roadblock that I've encountered required learning. And in an, any difficulty or opportunity, I'm drawing on previous experiences. I'm identifying what I need to learn in that moment. And that next sort of exciting opportunity space is where we start to get people in that anticipatory preparatory mindset where they're starting to think ahead to what they might need to learn next. And developing that, that mindset in learners is critical and crucial if you're going to have an organization that can respond to this exceptional and just intimidating rate of change and the way skills develop. And so that, I guess, is where learning culture really comes in because, I mean, there are a lot of learners who are, who are self-motivated or just going to do it no matter what, but but we all know, you know, from the, the statistics that are out there that 
I mean, corporate culture can kill motivation pretty quickly, you know, when it, when it comes to, uh, to learning. Um, so talk a little bit more about, you know, what a learning culture is and, and, and how you foster that and how, you know, you, you have it so that those, those learners are going to be motivated, be inspired to be agile. Yeah, a culture of learning is a lens in which you look at your organization, and it's a way of working and thinking. And it ties back to something I think I've already said a couple of times, that this learning is the path forward, that we are thinking of learning really early as we're considering our our organization strategy or the challenges we're about to face or what we're preparing to do in the next couple of years. It's, it's building in that mindset. And it is a shift in how people think. One of the things I came to realize, both for myself, but as a former classroom teacher and working in organizations, is no matter how much people love learning, there is sort of a perspective that there's a completion time. There's like a done moment. And graduation itself is often seen as that moment where we're just, okay, I'm, I'm done learning. I finished my formal education, and now I'm, I'm off to the races, where that is actually quite a misconception. The, the ceremony at graduation is called commencement for a reason. It's the beginning of your learning. It's just the start. And that perspective needs to become pervasive in organizations and be developed and fostered. And the way I approached this in the book, I tried to give these five really core steps that that leaders, whether they be in the L&D space or they be a leader of, of their department of another discipline, CEOs and just organizations could think about, how do I set up this foundation that I can stand up all the rest of this on? Because without this foundation, you'll have those pockets, like you mentioned, of super motivated learners who are 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 going to do this regardless, who've already unlocked this idea in their heads. But you're going to have people who who don't necessarily respond to these opportunities as learning opportunities. They see them as roadblocks or challenges, and it ultimately holds us back as people, but as as organizations as well. And this, I, I would say, is is not just about sort of the annual performance review. No, you know, no. <laughs> no, that's not it at all. It's it's. There's so much that comes to this. One of the things that I'm really uh, passionate about is feedback. And I, I've, I've sort of come to realize this about myself. I don't know that I even noticed I, was, I learned this as a teacher, but the concept of feedback is just constant. It's a feedback loop between students and teachers in the classroom. And what I spend a great deal of my time doing in organizations and specifically at Udemy is creating a culture of feedback where feedback is seen as fuel. That That's why we called it feedback is fuel. And there's a whole chapter in the book that talks about this, but it's even a rebranding of that concept. There's often uh, a perspective that feedback is a gift. And I actually even reject that. I think a gift is something that's nice to get a couple times a year, your birthday, over the holidays, maybe anniversaries, and then you go on the rest of your year and it's fine. Feedback is fuel is the oxygen we need to breathe, the food, the air, all this that's around us constantly, and it's it's needed. And feedback is this core to learning. It's how we know that we're improving. It's how we find out what opportunities we have to develop. And we have to create the perspective within our organizations and as individuals that we both want feedback and that giving feedback is actually caring about others and, and, and helping them in their development journey. And 
that seems to relate very naturally to this concept, which is very, it's very much a buzz term right now, the whole learning in the flow of work. Um, yes. that, you know, that, that, that constant, uh, meaningful feedback needs to be a part of that, but, but that's not all that, that, that involves. Can you talk a little bit more? Cause you, you dedicate a, a chapter to, to this as well, putting learning into the flow of work. I mean, what does that really mean? How, how does that happen? What are the, what are the challenges? What are the barriers that have traditionally blocked that from happening? Well, I, I think it is very connected to feedback because if we want to scale learning and if we want to have a true learning culture where where people are learning all the time, we have to have this democratized. And this has to be happening outside of a classic L&D team. And that might sound controversial for me to say as, as the leader of a learning team, but I'm actually trying to get myself out of the equation and put the power into the hands of the people. And that, that means creating those feedback loops that are happening between individuals and their managers and, and peers around them. And that also means that learning has to, has to find its way into the flow of work versus being something held in a corner by, by the learning and development team. My perspective is that we are creating the conditions and the opportunities to access that, that we're creating the culture where that can happen so that when someone has that moment of need, when that relevancy happens, that's, that's when they're able to access learning. And that's where we have to think differently about how we approach it with, with content providers who have democratized their approach or providing fast access to really rich, deep learning. The way Udemy has unlocked the potential of instructors all around the world is key to that because we're not, we're not waiting on the learning. We're not hiding it away in a corner. And, and crucial to that as well is not preserving it for some group of people that have been determined to be high potentials. We want to give learning to everyone. It's democratized in its access as well across all levels of the organization. That's what putting learning into the flow of work is, that the access is easy, that it's accessible at your moment of need, but it's also not hidden away by one team or group and that anyone can access it when they need to. And in your own experience, and then I, I assume you probably, you know, hear from uh, a, a lot of L&D professionals uh, who are out there um, and, and get their perspectives. I mean, how open are people in other roles at, at companies, at organizations to this idea of learning in the flow of work, democratizing learning? I mean, we discussed a little bit the the role of the learner and, you know, needing to be agile and some of the challenges around that. But then, you know, I'm thinking if I'm a, a director of marketing or I'm a CEO or whatever the role might be, this, this may sound a little challenging, a little messy. And I, you know, I may not feel that I'm the sort of person who can take on this idea of, of fostering learning. I mean, what, what kind of feedback are you getting around that? I, you know, it's mixed. Some people have they've accepted this. They've accepted that learning is something that they've needed to do and they want to create the conditions for that. But then some people I think are holding on to a perspective about what learning and development is from a broken model that hasn't actually served them and also seems hard and something that they can't do. And, and that's actually a lot of what I'm trying to frame with the culture of learning is that it doesn't necessarily have to be this very traditional perspective. We have to think about how people approach even the digital content they access in their daily lives, right? The way we used to release 
content to folks was in a, a completely different format. You couldn't access it on your devices. The Netflix approach to the world has shifted expectations, but we sometimes haven't given that to the education space. We're still expecting multi-day workshops with instructors. We're, we're thinking we have to take people offline for for hours and hours and hours to learn what they need to. And we're very much still battling this idea of the, the butts and seats model of like attendance equals learning. And none of that is true. So we, we kind of have to shift the perspective. We have to help people understand that if you watch a video for five minutes that teaches you how to make the pivot table you needed to make, that's powerful. And I don't need you to watch 60 minutes of a video about how to make Excel um, worksheets. Like that's not useful to people. It's something I learned in my classroom days about relevancy. I was teaching Spanish and it was pretty obvious to me when kids cared about what I was teaching was it was when it mattered to them, when context was there. So that's a big part of this conversation when when we are able to make those connections for, say, that marketing leader and then their teams, and we're able to show them that it doesn't have to be this painful experience, something they've probably had in the past, but it's going to be relevant. It's going to be applicable. And it's it's going to be personalized because we're not sort of waiting for this old school approach where everybody goes to the same workshop. We're going to unlock people's willingness to approach this as, as a way of working. And, and I have to ask uh, in, in relation to this, um, mostly because it's, it's going to reflect the position that most listeners uh, to leading learning are, are in. I mean, they're, they're not in the, the company. Um, they're, they're an outside provider of some sort or, or another. Um, and, and traditionally, you know, it's a group that's provided, say, the annual conference. So, you know, people show up, they attend that, you know, for a few days and then they go back to the office or they provided seminars, you know, people show up, they attend that, and then they go back to the office. Um, I mean, what, what would your advice be to those sorts of learning and education providers for how they might be a little more involved in this, this learning in the flow of work? How should they maybe re be rethinking how they deliver uh, support for learning? Those experiences don't have to be discounted as not being valuable, but what the the opportunity is, is to connect them throughout that year. Mm. So whatever you're doing in those, those experiences where you gather people together, that's not the end either. That same concept about the, the culmination versus the commencement, um, we have to stop thinking about that as the one-off and everything is absorbed and done in one day. How does that serve as a connection point to the learning that, that they will provide people throughout the year or till the next time they meet? And considering what are the, what are the ways that we can serve a point of need and time? I mentioned this software agile development approach. I've been really fortunate to, to, to think about this agile perspective. How do we serve people in a moment of need and, and Ditch a perfection perspective. One of my favorite sayings with my own team is perfect is the enemy of good. So, so letting go of that uh, on ourselves and just providing value in ways that are meaningful, topical, con context-driven and relevant for that moment, that's the way to go about it. And I think that's so just on the edge of the fingertips there. It's not saying ditch that model. It's not saying that doesn't work. It's that and. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I think that goes back to 
uh, what we were saying earlier about, you know, learning not being time bound. It is a process. It goes on over time and you want to think about it uh, in that way. Now, I'd like to switch gears a little bit because I do want to make sure we touch on um, a couple of the other areas of the book that I, that I found particularly exciting because they, they relate so well to a lot of what we talk about, um, write about, speak about um, uh, here through leading learning. And the first of those was thinking like a marketer, this idea that the, the L&D professional needs to think more like a marketer. We, we say this all the time, probably for slightly different reasons, but I, I think it's just a, a powerful concept. Can you can you explain sort of your perspective on that? And then maybe even, you know, some of the key, you know, strategies or tactics that learning professionals might want to embrace from the marketing world? Absolutely. I, this was actually one of my favorite chapters to write because I've had a lot of excitement and passion doing these things. It's when I really get to flex my own creativity muscles as I'm, I'm preparing the, the whole campaign around a new initiative. And I think when we're asking people to think like a marketer is sort of acknowledging that there's a lot of things competing for people's attention right now. And there's just no way we can avoid um, considering new and innovative approaches to capturing that attention. So a lot of the, the advice I give in this section is related to tapping into some of the very same techniques that uh, digital marketers are using right now. And I, I really recommend people pay attention to what caught your attention from a product perspective as a consumer. How did they tap into your awareness and get you to click on that ad or participate in some sort of, especially now in the, during a pandemic, an online virtual experience? Or how did, uh, how did they get you excited about something? And those same principles apply to how we should approach getting people uh, I'll say jazzed and and really <laughs> excited about what we're doing from a learning perspective. And a lot of the key uh, characteristics that marketers use are related to personalization. They're related to uh, building up anticipation and excitement, having campaigns, crisp messaging. Um, some of the fun things we've we've done over the years are, are doing parodies. One of my favorites as we were rolling out our our initial feedback is fuel program we did a parody of Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets and we called it mean feedback. Mm -hmm. And uh, we used it as a way to really uh, engage people in, in learning about this very specific skill. Uh, it was, it was hugely popular and, and ultimately spawned off uh, four, I believe in the end uh, versions of the, the same thing. So really like paying attention to what's happening in a different field um, this ties to upskilling in its own way. When we can look at another discipline, another area and say, how are they achieving success and how can that be applied to the kind of work I'm doing? Um, is at the core of upskilling and continuous learning. And I do think it's such good advice to, to spend some time following some digital marketers and seeing what they're doing. And it's, uh, it's not an accident that um, a lot of them are using education as a, as a form of marketing and that a lot of them are actually getting into selling educational uh, products now and, and, and watching how they do that can be extremely in, informative. And th this is actually a good, um, I think, uh, path into the last of your, your, your five ways around signaling the value because a good digital marketer is going to be all about really showcasing what the value is, the value that you're going to get you know, out of engaging with whatever they're doing 
you're kind of saying the same thing, I think, about uh, about learning, making sure that uh, that you're truly signaling that value, so that you know the the people who are having to make decisions about it, the people who are participating in it, um, get it. You know that yeah. they that they they recognize you know the, what what they're getting out of it. Am, am I am I characterizing that correctly? Well, there's there's two ways to think about this. For sure, what I'm talking about in the signal value is we want there to be true inherent value in the learning, and for people to actually walk away with something tangible. But what I'm most excited about here is how we represent the value of learning from a leadership perspective, um, and how we create sort of these their feedback loops in themselves by demonstrating why learning is valuable within an organization. So some of the ways we do this is by having leadership lead by example and talking about their own learnings and talking about how they've grown and developed and what the the value of that has been for them. And there's two sides to that. There's the signal when a leader says, hey, I I learn too, and I make space for this, and this is important, and this is something I do with my time, it really opens all the eyes around the organization to the idea that, hey, okay, that's allowed, that's permissible. Um, and then the value side is, is really showing how that really helped that person get to that stage of their career. So it's two-sided. And I think there's a lot a lot we can do from an organization perspective uh, where we really ask leaders to be more authentic, more vulnerable in talking about their own areas of development, um, where they they really instill this perspective of, hey, I'm still learning too. We all are. We all always will be. I like that. It's you know, about really being, um, I guess what's often called an avatar, you know, really, you know, reflecting uh well, you know, how you how you would want others to to be uh, ideally mm-hmm. in, in the organization, and I, I'm wondering, um, and you've maybe already answered this to a certain extent when I was asking earlier about you know some of these outside organizations like listeners uh, here uh, on, on leading learning, you know how they might signal value to an individual who's going to make a you know a decision to say, participate in a seminar or take an online course, or maybe to a, a corporate buyer who wants to, you know, bring in that content or send them, their people out um, to that seminar. I mean, is that a matter of, you know, social proof, testimonials, um, data showing that uh, the education they offer is, is valuable? I mean, how might that group think about signaling value? Yeah, I think this is a really important question. And I, I actually am most excited to talk to you and these listeners about this, this is really about authentically walking the walk. So if this is a learning provider or a vendor of some kind, how are you internally in your own organization practicing these these things? What is the learning culture within your organization? How do you use your own content, your own um, product? And that's um, something that I'm so excited about at Udemy because when I joined, I knew I was joining a company as a learning leader at a learning company. And it was my job to then use our product and figure out the best and most exciting ways to use it to really develop our company. And I think that's the call to action. And, and I'm I'm certain because these are all education companies, this is the case. And, and having that authenticity to lean into and talking about how how you all as learners yourselves participate in this is the is the real signal value when you're when you're talking to a prospect or a customer. 
Definitely, definitely. And I and I think and I and I think probably most listeners would agree that we we probably don't see enough of that going on and, and I, at least out in the world that, that that we serve as leading learning and I think that's a um it's a step that any organization assuming they're doing this and I think most are um can easily take and make part of how they represent themselves out to the world. So that's that's great advice. Shelly, we could, I think, go on all, all day here. <laughs> um, might have to have a follow-up at some point. But um, before we wrap up, I, I do want to ask you the, uh, the the question that at this point we're asking of, of all guests who come on the, the program. And, you know, it seems like a particularly appropriate one for for somebody like yourself. And it's, it's about your own, uh, you know, personal lifelong learning. And, and the question is, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing whatever you consider your formal education to be? Sure. You know, this might be cheating as an answer because it actually involves a whole bunch of other people's formal education. Mm. But for me, when I became a classroom teacher, that was the most profound learning experience I ever had. And, you know, the formal education aspect of that, what I learned in university it wasn't until I was actually applying those concepts that I'd learned in a classroom that I was finally able to witness some of the weaknesses of traditional approaches to education, you know, some of the even dangerous maxims that persist in education, I think. Um, I saw it come to light and I, I was able to do that in a way by teaching a language where it's so tangible, the ability to demonstrate your skill and the mastery, it opened my eyes to a lot of the principles I drive into organizations today where learners need relevancy, how to even reduce fear and shame when it comes to learning or not knowing something, how to develop growth mindsets, and, and how to deliver feedback in a way that actually pushes people forward versus uh, crushes them. All of this is the real learning I think I did and has been foundational to the work that I do, and also just the perspective that that I've been able to align so closely with at a company like Udemy. Um, and it's how I try to create learning organizations myself. So I hope that's not too much of a cheating answer because it still does have an element of formal education, but um, it's just really authentic for me. No, I, I think that's great. And I, you know, I think uh, anybody who's you know taught um, in any significant capacity knows what what an incredible learning experience uh, it is. So th- thank you for for sharing that. So I know uh, the book, which is um, uh, the upskilling imperative, is going to be out in, in the fall. Do you do you have a, an actual uh, publication date on that yet, or is it just still the, it's still the fall at this point? It's early fall. I think we'll be out in September. Obviously, uh, some things have changed. I think we're August twenty fifth, but uh, the pandemic has been changing things for us. So we're hopeful that we'll stick to that date. Well, great. Well, we will have a link to the Amazon page for it where I know pre-orders will be possible. Um, and, uh, and and I definitely encourage folks to, to get this book and read it. If they want to learn more about you uh, and your work, um, possibly even connect with you, where should they go? Uh, LinkedIn. I, I have a really... I love to connect with people. I love to share ideas about learning. So I, I'd, I'd love for them to join me there. And then, of course, I have a whole suite of Udemy courses. So um, I'm, I'm excited to share that with them as well. They can come learn about feedback or uh, about some of the other things I've taught, like psychological safety. I'd love to see them on Udemy. 
Well, great. We will be sure to link to both your LinkedIn profile and your Udemy courses in the show notes for this episode. And in the meantime, Shelly, thanks for taking the time to join us on Leading Learning and uh, for just a, a really fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. This was such a treat and I really enjoyed our conversation. That concludes the interview with Shelly Osborne. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 249. And the show notes include the reflection questions. One, how intentionally and strategically are you addressing upskilling needs in the field or industry you serve? And two, how can you best leverage the five ways that Shelly writes about to connect with and enhance the upskilling efforts of internal learning and development departments? When you check out those show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your ratings and reviews, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leadinglearning on each of those channels. Wherever and however you do it, please do follow us and help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.